I have a dream that one day this nation will rise up, live out the true meaning of its creed. The task which has been set us is not above our strength, as long as we have faith. It's one small step for man, one giant leap for mankind. God's work must truly be our own. Uh, well, good morning, church. Good morning. What a great day. What a great time to worship. And this morning, we come to the conclusion of a, a really powerful series, a series called Unstoppable. And I've loved this series because we were looking at the greatest movements in history, and the, the greatest movement in all of history is God's church. There have been a lot of movements that have come and a lot of movements that have gone, but, but God's church is unstoppable. God is at work. And as you think about the church as the vehicle by which God accomplishes His work in this world, the church is the way God moves in lives and transforms hearts. And the, the fact of the matter is we are the church. The church is not a building, you know. The church is the body. It's us gathered. It's us united in the profession of our faith that Jesus Christ is our Lord. And God bringing believers together to serve as the hands and feet of Christ to make a difference in this world and in our day and our generation. Now, in this series, we've been going back to the book of Acts, and we, we started in Acts chapter 1 and looked at kind of the birth of the church. And what happened is Jesus brought his disciples together after his death, his burial, his resurrection, and he, he met them on the Mount of Olives. And he said to these 12 guys, right, he said, hey, listen, you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes in you. And you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and the uttermost parts of the world. He said, guys, you go live it out. You go be a witness. You go share my love and start right in your home in Jerusalem. And then, and then go to your county and go to the places around you and go to the ends of the earth. In Acts chapter 2, the Holy Spirit comes. And the Holy Spirit is the fuel of God's church. Why God's church is unstoppable. It's not just man. It's God working through his church. And Peter stands up at Pentecost 50 days after Jesus was crucified and resurrected. And Peter shares the story of Christ. And 3,000 people believe that day. And the church is on fire. I mean, God is doing something incredible. And the, and the early believers, they would gather for corporate worship times just like we do. And then they would meet in homes where they would break bread together and they would pray together and encourage one another. In Acts chapter 3, we, we saw where Peter and John, they, they were going up to the temple and there was a beggar, a guy who was crippled, and they healed him in the name of Jesus. They said, money's not going to satisfy you. Money's not going to meet all your needs. You need Christ. You need fulfillment here in your life. And, and then they came up on the Temple Mount, and everybody's running over because they knew this, this beggar guy. And, and so there's this huge audience, and Peter steps up, and he uses the platform that God gave him to talk about Jesus. And we've said God's given all of us a platform, right? He's given all of us a platform. What do we talk about on our platform? Whether it's social media or whether it's at work, whether it's at home, in our neighborhood or our community, what do we talk about? And then in Acts chapter 4, we saw when persecution came against the church. And, and instead of the church just coming together and saying, hey, let's pray for protection, right? We don't want to get hurt. Or let's pray for protection for our kids. The church stepped up and said, no, we're going to pray for boldness. God, help us to be bold. Help us to share Christ. Because Christ alone is the, the hope of the world. And we're going to share Jesus. And last week, Pastor Nick did a great job talking about Acts chapter 5 and how obedience cost. There is a price to pay, but it is worth it. As you and I, as you and I live it out in obedience to Christ. And then today, Acts chapter 6. And this is one of those, again, defining moments in Scripture. 
This is what, what impacts the rest of the New Testament. And we see that today unfold in Acts 6. So let's, let's go to work here. If you have a Bible with you today, I invite you to open with me to Acts chapter 6. Acts chapter 6. If you don't have a Bible, that's all right. We'll put it, the words on the screen. Or maybe you have a mobile device. You can access the scriptures uh, online and join with us and, and just see God's word come to life, I pray today. But pick up in Acts chapter 6. Now remember, Acts stands for Acts the Apostles. Acts was written by Luke, who also wrote the Gospel of Luke. So Luke, kind of, the Gospel's volume 1, and this is volume 2, talking about the church. And so Acts chapter 6, verse 1. In those days, when the number of disciples was increasing, the Grecian Jews among them complained against the Hebraic Jews because their widows were being overlooked in the daily distribution of food. First thing I want you to see is what? There are needs in every church. There are needs in every church. But especially in growing churches, like the church back then was growing. The church today here at Rolling Hills, we're, we're growing. And there's, there's always going to be needs. And so the church looked around and said, hey, what are the needs? And they realized that there were a lot of widows. Now, back in this day, if you were a widow, you were kind of out of luck. I mean, I'll be honest with you. Uh, women back then had very few rights, if any rights at all. I mean, they were just treated poorly. If you were a woman and you didn't have a, a husband or you didn't have a father or you didn't have a son, a man to protect you, you were put out on the streets. And the church came along and said, hey, let's take care of these widows. You know, it tells us in James, it says, the kind of religion that God sees as pure and faultless is this, to take care of orphans and widows in their distress and to keep oneself from being polluted by the world. That, that we have a call to take care of those who need help. And so, so they came along and they had a daily distribution of food. They had a food team. We got a food team, right? You know? and, and they were taking care of the widows. And they were coming along and helping out. But notice this, that some complained because there were the Grecian Jews and there were Hebraic Jews. And some said, hey, they're, they're, these widows are being overlooked in the daily distribution of food. You know, there's no perfect church, right? Okay? There's just not. Even back then, there were some struggles in the church. There's no perfect church, just like there's no perfect family. I mean, there's always dysfunction in, in some family. Right? Everybody's got that. You got that uncle, right? That uh, uncle. Nobody, you know, talks about that uncle, but that uncle's there. But, but you're still family, right? So you're going to love that uncle. And in the family, you're going to love the church. And what I love about these believers is they did not let Satan get a foothold. You see, you see what can happen so often, right, is Satan doesn't want the church to grow. Satan wants the church to, you know, not grow. Satan wants to keep the church down. And so Satan kind of throws these little things in there. And you're like, oh, well, you know, look at what this did. Look at the church. Look at that, you know. But these guys were mature enough to say, hey, we don't want to be a part of the problem. We want to be a part of the solution. Let's work together. What God is doing is too important. We're not just going to complain and then pick up our toys and we're going to, like, peace out, you know. We're going to go to another sandbox. We're going to figure out how to be a part of the solution and not a part of the problem. And so that's what they did. Look at verse 2. So the 12, now the 12 is capitalized. This is for the 12 apostles minus Judas. They added Matthias, so they're back to 12, right? So the 12 gathered all the disciples together, and they said, It would not be right for us to neglect the ministry of the Word of God in order to wait on tables. Brothers, choose seven men from among you who are known to be full of the Spirit and wisdom. We will turn this responsibility over to them and give our attention to prayer in the ministry of the Word. So the apostles come along and they say, hey, we've got to do something about this. 
right? We've got to raise up some other leaders because the fact is it takes everyone for the church to grow. It takes everyone. And so they called out these lay leaders. Now, these apostles were smart. And they realized, hey, we don't have time, you know, to prepare sermons for Saturday back then, you know, or Sunday. And we don't have time to spend, you know, 20 hours a week getting ready for sermons. We don't have time to counsel people and take care of all the widows. But we know there's other people who can. And there's other people who are gifted at that. The the fact is, as we went back to Acts chapter 1, Acts chapter 2, when the Holy Spirit comes... When you become a follower of Jesus, God places his Holy Spirit within you. And God gives you spiritual gifts. And we all have different gifts. I mean, you have a gift that God has called you to use for his name and for his glory. Some some people have the gift of, you know, worship. Some people have the gift of serving. Some people have the gift of teaching. Some people have the gift of administration. But we use these gifts for God's glory. And we use these gifts to further the kingdom. And so the apostles said, hey, let's call out some people to use their gifts. This is the calling of the first lay leaders. So what you had is vocational leaders, right? You had the apostles, you had church leaders. But then you have these men and women called deacons, right? You have deacons. Uh, That word's not used, but it's the lay leaders. It literally means servant or minister. Servant or minister. And even in churches today, you have lay leaders, right? You have people, people who step up and use their gift for the glory of God. And the fact of the matter is the church, it takes everyone. And that's how the church grows. And a lot of times we're like, well, we'll just leave it to people who know more than I do. We'll let them handle it. We'll figure it out. Here at Rolling Hills, we have a core value that says this. Every person through Christ is a minister and essential to this body of believers. See, you can do ministry in a way that I can't. I mean, you really, you have a sphere of influence that I don't. You, God has put you where you are for a reason and for a purpose. God brought you here for a reason and for a purpose. And the church thrives when we all use our gifts. In the church, the call to lead is the call to serve. So as you and I understand that we want to be leaders in God's church, the call is to serve. The call is to make a difference in the lives of others. The call is to use our gifts to further his kingdom. So it tells us this in verse 5. This proposal pleased the whole group. And they chose Stephen, a man full of faith and of the Holy Spirit. Now we don't know a lot about Stephen. He's probably, you know, maybe a husband, maybe a father. Uh, He was maybe, you know, had a business. He had a job. He did some stuff, but what we do know about this guy is he was full of faith in the Holy Spirit. This guy was willing to serve. This guy believed that God could do great things. This guy believed that God could use an ordinary guy like him to further God's kingdom. So he said, hey, put me in, coach. All right here. You know, they chose Stephen, a man full of faith in the Holy Spirit. Also Philip, Procurus, Nicanor, Timon, Paramedes, and Nicholas from Antioch, a convert to Judaism. And they presented these men to the apostles who prayed and laid their hands on them. See, developing leaders has to be a priority for the church. And so they brought these guys together, and they prayed over them, and they laid their hands on them. That's a conferring of a blessing. That even goes back to the Old Testament. And they bring these seven, and they say, okay, God's got a plan, and God wants to use you. And then they released them to do ministry. You know what? We have our own Acts chapter 6 guys in this church. We call them A6 guys, right? You can call them all kinds of things, lay leaders, deacons, servants, ministers, whatever. We just call, there's 60 men in our church. And what these men do 
is they serve you. They serve the body. That's what they do. You know, they look around and they see the needs. They pray through every prayer request that comes in. So when you put a prayer request in on Sundays, they pray for every prayer request. They serve communion. As we take communion today, they'll be at the tables and them and their spouse, and they'll be there. They'll serve. They go and visit the hospitals. I can't make it every hospital, right? Our staff, can't. they go and they, when somebody has a need in the church and they call and they say, hey, there's a widow, there's somebody who's, who needs something, you know what we do? We call an A6 guy. And they go over. And just like they had Stephen and Procurus and Icanor, we, we've got Thomas and Diego and Jimmy and Lee and Tim. And these guys, man, they serve. This is church. This is what you do. You know, all throughout the New Testament, it talks about the one another's, right? It says love one another, serve one another, pray for one another, encourage one another. And that's what the body of Christ does. And when people come and do that, man, the church flourishes. That is church. That's us. We all will go through difficult times or challenging times, and we need each other. And the church was smart back then. See, the apostles... The apostles realized that they could be the lid. And the church would only grow as far as they could manage everything. But what they did was empower other people. So here's my encouragement to you. Don't be the lid. Don't be the lid. I mean, don't be the lid in whatever ministry God has given you. You have to figure out, how do I multiply that ministry? If you're teaching in preschool or children or students or you're working in the parking lot or you're a greeter or an usher, you you start to say, how can I help bring somebody else along? How can I help involve somebody else? Uh, Lisa and I, along with Tom and Angie Adam, we, we lead a community group. And uh, this past Monday night was our, our last community group for the year. And it was tough, I got to tell you, because we love the people in our community. We just, they're amazing. We have laughed this year so much. We've cried this year a lot. We've been through some challenging times. We've been through babies being born. We've been through parents passing away and going to be with Jesus. We've, we've been through marriage struggles, and we've shared a lot of life together. And the easy thing for us would be to say, hey, let's just stay together, right? We got this holy huddle. Man, we we, we kind of got this thing going. It's awesome. And, and as much as I want to do that, I realize I would be the lid because there's a person that God has raised up in our group named Bill Bunton who's going to take the group, and he's going to do an incredible job. And if I just said, hey, no, 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 it's just us, we would miss out on him leading and using his gifts. We would miss out on the group growing. So it's not, you know, hey, we're divided, we're multiplying. And several years ago when we planted the church, it was, we just stayed together. We just stayed together and we realized, hey, we become the lid. We become the lid. And now there's groups that are out there and, and serving and growing together because God's called all of us, raise up. Who are you raising up? Who are you raising up behind you? Who are you pouring into? Who are you discipling? And maybe you go, well, I don't know enough, right? I mean, yeah, yeah, yeah. Even if you know one step, you can teach somebody that step. Even if you're just like one step ahead, right? Who can you pour into? And that's what the apostles were doing. Hey, we need leadership. We need to multiply it. And here's the incredible part. Look, as leadership is multiplied, notice the result, verse 7. So the word of God spread. The number of disciples in Jerusalem increased rapidly, and a large number of priests became obedient to the faith. Guys, listen, as leadership was multiplied, notice that correlation. So the word of God spread, right? The word of God spread. 
I mean, people's lives were impacted. God's church grows and flourishes. Different gifts, same call. And when the body of Christ start using our gifts for the glory of God, something incredible happens. Also notice this, people from the outside recognize it. Did you notice that? It says, and a large number of priests became obedient to the faith. These Jewish priests who are over here doing the ministry, doing the same thing they've done in the Old Testament, and they look over and they go, wow, look at that guy. Look at that lady. We, we know them. That's Bob. That's Joe. They're, they're an ordinary person, but God's working through them. Man, they're, they're leading this Bible study. You know? They're praying for their neighbor. They're taking food to widows. They are helping out. They're worshiping. God is doing something in their life, and we want to be a part of that. Isn't that awesome? It's contagious. And it's us just stepping in and saying, God, here we are. You know what? For your name and for your glory. You see, there's five purposes of the church. Five purposes. Number one is worship. Worship. It's important for us every Sunday morning, the first part of the week, right? Very first time, we're going to dedicate this week to the Lord. So we're going to come and we're going to worship. We're going to set our eyes on Christ and say, I'm living my life for you. The second is evangelism. Jesus said, be my witnesses. And we don't have to go and argue people into the kingdom. We just go and invite people to church. We just go and tell what God's doing in our life. Just tell your story. You know, use your platform for the glory of God. The third is this, discipleship. That you and I are growing in our faith, that we're studying the word of God together. Salvation happens in an instant. Sanctification, becoming like Christ, takes a lifetime. That we are growing and maturing, that our lives look more every day like Jesus. Not that we're perfect, we have a long way to go, but that we're growing. The fourth is fellowship, right? That's the one another's. That's us. See, life can change on a dime. I mean, it really can. I mean, things can be going great, and then something can happen. And we need each other. That's why God, in his sovereignty, put us in community together. He knew that we would need people to encourage us. He would need people to hold us accountable. We would need people around us. That's why it's important to join the church and be a part, be a partner here at Rolling Hills. But the fifth purpose is this, ministry. Ministry, that's a purpose of the church, that we use our gifts for the glory of God. So God says, hey, I have wired you a certain way, and I want you to use those gifts. Now, the church has continued throughout the centuries, but the movement slows down when we go into a mindset like this, right? Here's the mindset that can happen. It can go back to like this Old Testament mindset of a pyramid. And the Old Testament mindset was, you know, you have all the people down here, right? And then there's some like, you know, priest. And there's some more like holy people. And then you got like holy, holy people. And then you got like this super holy person who is the high priest. And when you would go to the temple to worship, right, all the people, you could only get so close to God. And so if you were a Gentile, you were kind of on the outside looking in. If you were a Jewish woman, you could come into the court of women. You got a little bit closer to God. If you were a Jewish man, you got a little bit closer to God. If you were a priest, you got a little bit closer. And then you got this super holy person up here who one day a year on the Day of Atonement would go in and offer a sacrifice on behalf of the people. And if you look, the church is always tempted to go back to this model, right? It's tempted because we go like this. We go, well, I'm just an ordinary person. I'm down here. And I'm going to, you know what, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to tithe. And we're going we're gonna to pay some professional people. <laughs> so we've got some pastors and ministers. And then we'll add some, you know, like 
priest, and then we'll get some bishops, and then we'll get some cardinals, and then there's like a super holy person, a pope, right? And so we're just going to like abdicate our responsibility. We're going to pay these holy people, and they're going to do their thing, and we're going to sit back because they're professionals, right? They're professionals, and we're just down here. But what did Jesus do? Jesus came along, and Jesus goes, no, 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 no. Let me just turn the whole thing upside down for you people. Jesus said, I'm here. Jesus said, for the Son of Man came not to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. Jesus is the foundation, the cornerstone. And what you begin to see then is as you mature spiritually, you begin to serve more people, right? You serving more people, more people, more people. And what happens here? The church grows. The church reaches out. The church flourishes. So much so that even... The new pope, right? He's like, oh, no, wait, we need to serve. It's not just about me up here. It's about me serving and helping the poor and helping the broken. and help. That's it. That's spiritual maturity. That's you and I learning. Hey, as I grow, as I realize how much God's blessed me, as God gives me more time and energy and resources and abilities, and I can make a bigger difference for the glory of God and further his name and further his kingdom. Praise be to God. And so we have to look and say, hey, I don't want to fall back into that model where we got professional people who do ministry. I become that person. And God can use me, and I may be scared, but that's where I grow. When I take a next step in my spiritual walk and my spiritual journey, and I begin to give back. Here at Rolling Hills, you know what we call it? We call it worship one, serve one. And we talk about worship one hour, serve one hour. Worship at 930, serve at 11, or worship at 11, serve at 930. But somehow that you're realizing that God's pouring into you his word, but God wants you to use your gifts. And maybe it's serving on Sunday morning, maybe it's leading a community group or hosting a community group, or maybe it's serving a women's Bible study or men's Bible study or hosting an if table or, or some way, somehow where you go, hey, I want to worship one, but I want to serve as well. About three years ago, we, we started this with our high school students. You see, on Sunday mornings, right, our middle school students, they're meeting right now over there. They have, they have small groups that are happening. But we took our high school students and said, we'll move your, your small groups to Sunday night. And on Sunday morning, we want you guys to worship one hour and serve one hour. And so our high school students have been doing this for three years. And there's a graduating senior this year. Her name is Addison Witten. And Addison has been teaching in the four-year-old class. And so she's graduating this year, and her mom says to her, Addison, what do you want to do for a graduation party? You want to invite your friends over and all these people? You know what Addison said? She said, Mom, I want to celebrate with my four-year-olds from church. And so this morning, when we were in worship at 930, you know what? Her mom had sent out invitations to all the parents of four-year-olds and said, hey, we're going to decorate. We're going to have a surprise graduation party. So they decorated a studio over there. And when Addison came in, they had a party for her. You know what I love about that? Addison is a much better minister to four-year-olds than I will ever be. <laughs> she is awesome. And you know what? She has learned to serve. That's her heartbeat. And she's graduating with a lot of knowledge, but you know what, from academics. But she's graduating with a heart for Jesus and a heart to make a difference. And God's going to use her in great ways. We have an awesome class of graduates this year. And I'm so proud of them and their families. There's another couple, you know, Mike and Annette Brichette. And Mike and Annette, they teach in the children's area. And then they realized, hey, we're making a difference here. But there's orphans around the world. And so Mike goes on a mission trip with Justice and Mercy, goes to, to Moldova. 
And he starts working with the orphans there, and he comes back and tells Annette. And now they trade off because they have a daughter, Gabby. And so one of them will go at Christmas, and one will go in the summer. And they've got kids that they're raising halfway around the world. And they can't do it every time, but they're sponsoring them, and they're taking care of them. And they're multiplying ministry. They're making an impact for the glory of God in their day and their generation. There's another guy uh, in our church named Steve Norris. And I love this man. He spoke at our Men's Leadership Network this past Thursday. And Steve talked about how at 42 he, he retired. And then he realized, wait a minute, what do I do now? You know, God's not finished with me. And God's got a bigger plan and a purpose. And, and he started working uh, with Y-Build and then ended up becoming the executive director of 413 Strong. He starts working with these young men and, and helping them understand, just like we all need help, about hope and a future and, and pouring into these guys. And you're watching these men grow and mature because there was one guy who just stepped up and said, you know what, maybe God can use me. And I'm scared and I'm ill-equipped, but you know what? Through the power of the Holy Spirit, a couple weeks ago, a, a bunch of guys in our church, our A6 guys, gathered together some clothes and took them over to, to 413 to say, hey, we know you guys have interviews coming up. We, we want to help out, you know? Spencer, Spencer's here this morning too. Spencer wrote us a thank you note. And here's what, here's what he said. He said, Dear Rolling Hills Ministry, my name is Spencer Gibson, and, and I would just like to show my greatest appreciation for your donation to the 413 Strong program. Before your donation of clothes, I didn't really have a whole lot. I had a couple of pair of pants and probably three or four shirts. Now I have, fortunately, a different outfit for every day of the week. To all the members of Rolling Hills Church and everybody else who helped and donated or somehow participated in getting close to the 413 Strong program, I would like you all to know how grateful I am for your hospitality. And if there's anything I can ever do to show you all that same hospitality back, you can call on me anytime. Thank you, Rolling Hills. Sincerely, Spencer Gibson. Spencer, thanks, man. You know, church, that's it. That's the body of Christ. That's all of us working together. That's all of us. We go through times when we need help. We go through times when things are challenging and we go through times and we go, hey, people step in and God says, that's my church. That's why I'm here. That's why I put you together. Ordinary men and women for the glory of God. Ephesians chapter 4 verse 11 says this. It was he, God, who gave some to be pastors and prophets and teachers and evangelists. Why? To prepare God's people for works of service so that the body of Christ may be built up until we all reach unity in the faith and become mature. Gain you the whole measure of fullness of Christ. Now, has anybody here reached the whole measure of the fullness of Christ? Okay, we still have work to do, right? We still have work to do. We can be real when we have needs. We can be real when we have gifts. We can be real and authentic and use that to further God's kingdom. And God takes ordinary men and women, ordinary men and women, and uses ordinary men and women for extraordinary things. That is the story of the church. God's Holy Spirit working through Acts chapter 4, verse 13. When they saw the courage of Peter and John, they realized they were unschooled, ordinary men. Unschooled, ordinary men. They took note that these men had been with Jesus. The power of God working through his people. You and me for his name and for his glory. One of these guys, Stephen, one of these A6 guys, look at what happens it says, now Stephen, a man full of God's grace and power, did great wonders and miraculous signs among the people. 
Opposition arose, however, from members of the synagogue of the freedmen, as it was called. Jews of Cyrene and Alexandria, as well as the provinces of Cilicia and Asia. These men began to argue with Stephen, but they could not stand up against the wisdom and the spirit by whom he spoke. Then they secretly persuaded some men to say, we've heard Stephen speak words of blasphemy against Moses and against God. So they stirred up people and the elders and the teachers of the law, and they seized Stephen, and they brought him before the Sanhedrin. They produced false witnesses who testified, this fellow never stopped speaking against this holy place and against the law. For we have heard him say that Jesus of Nazareth will destroy this place and change the customs Moses handed down to us. So picture the scene. Here's an ordinary guy, right? Stephen, who's serving in the church. And persecution is coming against the church. And they grab Stephen and they take him and they put him against the Sanhedrin. Now the Sanhedrin, 70 men. These were the same religious leaders who had crucified Jesus. And they're Stephen. He's not one of the apostles. He's an ordinary guy that God's using. And he stands there in front of all of these men. And look what happens. It says, All who were sitting in the Sanhedrin looked intently at Stephen, and they saw that his face was like the face of an angel. They looked at this man and his character, his integrity, and you know Stephen had to be scared to death. But but church, I want to challenge you, I want to encourage you, listen, when you go through times and you're scared, when you go through times and you're worried, when you go through times and you're anxious, you hold on to God. You know that God's got a bigger plan. You know that God has a purpose. And at just the right time, God's going to come through. He does every time. God is using you. He's using your life. Never forget about God. And Stephen didn't. He held on to God. And in Acts chapter 7, Stephen, before the whole Sanhedrin, just begins to walk through the Old Testament and says, Guys, listen. From Moses through the prophets, God was writing a story. And the culmination is Jesus. He sent Jesus. Jesus, whom you crucified, as the Savior of the world. That anybody, anybody who is far from God can have a relationship with God through Jesus Christ, the Messiah. Well, at this, in verse 54 of Acts chapter 7, it tells us, When they heard this, they were furious and they gnashed their teeth at him. But Stephen, full of the Holy Spirit, looked up to heaven and saw the glory of God and Jesus standing at the right hand of God. Look, he said, I see heaven open and the Son of Man standing at the right hand of God. At this, they covered their ears and yelling at the top of their voices, they all rushed at him. They dragged him out of the city and began to stone him. Meanwhile, the witnesses laid their clothes at the feet of a young man named Saul. And while they were stoning him, Stephen prayed, Lord Jesus, receive my spirit. Then he fell on his knees and cried out, Lord, do not hold this against him. And when he had said this, he fell asleep. And Saul was there giving approval to his death. Stephen died for Christ. Stephen was the first martyr of the church. It wasn't one of the apostles. It wasn't one of the church, you know, leaders, the pastors. It was an ordinary guy, Stephen, who stood up for Christ For who or what are you willing to die? For who or what are you willing to die? For me, I I died for my kids. I died for my wife. I died for Christ. I would. 
I would die for you, church. I love you guys. I'm proud of you. If you're in the military, you would die for your country. See, I don't know if you're willing to live for Christ until you're ready to die. Stephen's ready to die. No, we're all going to die. I mean, the fact is, we, we all will. We don't like to talk about it, but just a week ago, I went to a funeral for a 24-year-old. It may be 24 years we have on this earth. It may be 30. It may be 50. It may be 75. It may be 90. But at some point, <laughs> we're all going to die. And I don't think it's as much about how we die as how we live. It's what we do with every single day. It's what we do with every moment. When we rise up and live our lives for Christ, when we stand up and say, I want to make a difference for God's name and for God's glory. I want to invest my life in what really matters. I don't want to live for the things of this world. <laughs> They're fleeting. I don't want to even live my life for retirement. Come on. I want to live my life for Christ. I want to live my life for Christ. You see Stephen's death? You know what's so powerful here? It says when they were stoning him that Stephen prayed, Lord Jesus, receive my spirit. Then he fell on his knees and cried out, Lord, do not hold this sin against them. The maturity of this guy to say, God, forgive them. And be a men and women who forgive. And not living in the bitterness of, of what's happened in our past, but, but being men and women who live with confidence that Christ can redeem and restore. It says, when he had said this, he fell asleep. He fell asleep. And you know what Stephen saw when he woke up? He saw the face of Jesus. He saw the face of Christ. What I think is so powerful is it says right before this when he's giving his speech before the Sanhedrin, but Stephen, full of the Holy Spirit, looked up to heaven and he saw the glory of God and Jesus standing. Notice that, Jesus standing at the right hand of God, which is really interesting because if you go to Hebrews chapter 12, verse 2, it says, let us fix our eyes on Jesus, the author and perfecter of our faith, who for the joy set before him endured the cross, scorning its shame, and sat down at the right hand of God. But when Stephen looked up, he saw Jesus standing. You know what I think Jesus was doing? I think Jesus was just giving him a standing ovation. Good job, Stephen. You lived it. You lived it right. You lived it well. You lived it for me. The fact is we're all going to fall asleep at some point. And I pray for every one of us that we wake up and we see Jesus. And we see Jesus just going, good job. Well done, my good and faithful servant. Well done. You, you lived it right. For whatever years you had on this earth, the 24 or the 30 or the 50 or the 75, you lived it for me. You furthered my kingdom. You used the gifts I gave you. You invested in those who came behind you. You furthered the church. Dietrich Bonhoeffer says, when Christ calls a man, he bids him come and die. And die to our selfish ways. Die to our old way of life. Die to our sinful desires. And live our lives for Christ. And for Christ alone. What are you living for? 
Not just what are you willing to die for, but what are you willing to live for? Are you living for Christ? Oh, he is hope. He is life. He is peace. He is joy. He is purpose. He is eternal. And he loves you. Oh, he loves you. You know, Jesus, on the night that he was betrayed, he, he brought his disciples together and he took a towel, right? And look at this. He took a towel and he got down on his knees and he began to wash the disciples' feet. And the nasty feet, right, because they walked in sandals everywhere and he's washing their feet. And they're like, no, 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 Jesus. He goes, oh, yeah, 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 yeah. I'm setting an example for you. I'm setting an example for you. You go serve. You go make a difference. You go love radically. You go pray. You give. You. And then he sat down with them. And he took a piece of bread. And after he'd given thanks, he broke it. And he said, this is my body. Broken for you. Have you ever thought about that? That, that Jesus died for you? If you ever wonder, does my life matter? Does anybody love me? There's somebody who died for you, okay? There's somebody who laid their life down so that you could have a relationship with the God of the universe. Jesus endured the worst possible death on the cross, his body broken for you. Wow. You are loved. You are important. You are special. After supper, he took the cup. He said, this cup, it's the new covenant, right? This is my blood poured out for you. It's a covenant of grace. You were under works theology before, right? But now you are under grace. Whenever you eat this bread or you drink this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. And so this morning, we have the opportunity to share with what churches throughout the centuries have shared, communion. We join in a long line of believers who've gone before us. Parents, grandparents, great-grandparents, great-great-great-grandparents. And we join the movement as we come to the table. I'm going to ask some of our A6 men and their spouses to go to the tables, and they're going to be there to serve you. They're going to be there to hold the bread and the cup. And when you come to the table this morning, if you're a follower of Jesus... If you've given your life to Christ, then you can come to the table and take a piece of the bread and break it off. And listen, Christ's body broken for you and dip into the cup his blood poured out for you and receive what only God can do for you. And when you come to the table, think about this. Think about a Savior who died for you. And think about what you're willing to do for him. A lot of times we say, what can the church do for me? What can the church do for me? But, but what can we do for Christ? What can we do for his kingdom? What can we do in our day, our time, and our generation? So I want to pray over us. And then you're invited to come to one of the tables. There's tables over here. There's tables on the sides. There's tables in the back. And, and just to take a piece of the bread and to dip it into the cup and then to receive. Father God, here we are today, your disciples. And God, you love us. Father, I thank you for your presence this morning. I thank you for your grace and your mercy. 
I thank you for men and women who are willing to serve and men and women are willing to further your kingdom. Jesus, thank you that you died for us. And if we ever wonder if we're loved, if we ever wonder if we matter to you, God, all we have to do is look to Jesus and understand how much you love us. And so, Father, because of the gift of Christ, help us to live our lives for you. Every day, every moment, for your name and for your glory. Father, we come to your table right now. This is your invitation to receive from you. And it's in the name, the beautiful name of Jesus that we pray and we come. Amen. You're invited to come to the table.